Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. We are going to start a brand new series this morning entitled Trinity. Uh, Just a quick little review for 2021. We started the year with a series called The Most Important Thing About You, where we talked about the attributes of God, really kind of the personality of God and what He is like. This is going to be a series that's different from that in that we're going to talk about not His personality, but His person, His essence of who He is. And uh, this is uh, my hope and prayer is it will come to bring you into a deeper more intimate relationship with God maybe than you have ever ever had because it'll help pull back maybe some layers of confusion that have happened through the years. It happened to all of us when it comes to this idea of Trinity. Now, let me just ask you to think about a couple of statements. I'm going to put in front of you and just think about what you think about when you see these statements. Okay, here's the first one. God is love. Like, there's, there's probably no more fun statement in all of theology than that one right there, right? It is bouncy, it's inviting, it's warm, it's friendly, it's awesome. Now, what about this statement? God is Trinity. Not quite as warm, right? A little colder, stodgier, academic, uh, a little pedantic. It's kind of like, why are you attaching all this confusing, complicated stuff onto my God, right? Sometimes people feel that way a little bit about this idea of Trinity. But here's the truth. Here's the reality. The truth is that God is love because God is Trinity. And this is what we're going to be talking about, that there is parts of him as Trinity that make possible the things that you love most about God, or if you're not sure how to feel about God, I hope that once you get a clearer picture of who he is, it will draw you to him. Some of you guys, you remember back uh, when we had black and white television? You remember that? I'm old enough. That dates me pretty bad. I remember black and white television, all right? Um, And then there was color, and then there was HD, and now we've got 4K, and there's probably even something beyond that now. But My hope is that this series will help bring you from black and white to color or maybe from no television at all to some kind of television, some kind of view or understanding of God, or maybe it'll bring it into a greater high-definition picture of who God is, 4K. I hope that it will do that for you. And this is really my hope and prayer for this series. This series is about growing our enjoyment, true enjoyment of God. Now, definitely there's going to be some academic parts of this. I want you to follow me. We're going to be covering some scripture to kind of help understand who this God of the Bible is more clearly. But through it all, my hope and prayer, I want you to know, is that you will come to enjoy him, know him even better. As the psalmist said in Psalm 34, 8, to taste and to see that the Lord is good. He is good. And when Jesus was sharing with his disciples, and really this was one of his prayers right before the, um, the cross, he was sharing with us that the core, at the core of having a relationship with God himself, the core of salvation, the core of eternal life, is really knowing who God is. In John chapter 17, verse 3, here's what Jesus said. 
He says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, this is eternal life, Jesus says, to really know. And this understanding of know is to interactively, intimately know, not just know like you know a concept, like, yeah, I know that, I, I know about math, I know about you know, cell phones, I know about them, but to intimately have a relationship with another person is a different kind of no. And this is what he's talking about. And this kind of knowledge, knowing him will lead to life change, radical life change. The more we get to know a loving God, because his love is so deeply profound, it will change us into more loving people. You can't come to know a loving God without yourself becoming more loving, or you're really not coming to know God. It should radically change who you are. Now, just to give you a little bit of um, kind of personal confession on my standpoint, like as the pastor of this church, my growth and walk with God, and I really believe this will happen, many of you will probably give testimony, the same thing has happened to you, the more I've come to know God, the more I've grown to understand this loving God, it has changed everything about me, it has changed my preferences, it changed the music I listen to, it changes the media I consume, the kind of movies I watch, the kind of content I consume on Netflix, what, that's right, yeah, it changes everything. It changes, it changed my marriage. My marriage is healthier the closer I get to God. It's crazy how I love Leslie better as I understand God's love for me better. It changes the way I interact with other people. It changes the way I pray. It changes the way I see the world around me. It literally is its own worldview. It changed my worldview and it will change yours too. Now let me just say this about worldviews. Like any worldview that is handed to you, and there are many out there in our world today, and Jesus certainly has one that I am um, wholeheartedly in favor of and believe that it's the only one that actually brings you closer to God and truly has the answers to life's deepest questions. But every worldview seeks to answer or should answer by theologians and philosophical um, researchers' uh, standpoint that they all answer four basic questions about life. They answer origins, they answer purpose, they answer morality and destiny. The purpose question is, where do we come from? Where did this all begin, right? Purpose is, um, so that's origins, and then purpose is, um, what are we here for? What's the purpose behind life? What's, what gives life meaning? Morality, what's good and evil? And says who? According to who? Like, why is it good and evil? Why, what, 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 by what standard do we judge that? That is way under debate these days in our world. I'm sure you've seen. And then, finally, destiny. Where is it all going? This huge narrative, this, this life that we're all living together on this planet, where is it going? Is it all just random happenstance? Or is there an ultimate end that we're moving towards? And Jesus gives solid, cohesive answers to all of these. This morning, I want to focus on origins for just a moment. As we talk about origins, it's interesting that science, the, the science you know, academic arena has conclusively discovered that space, time, and matter have all had a beginning. Now, for the science behind that, I want to point to you a, a book 
a book entitled, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Dr. Norman Geisler and Dr. Frank Turek. Great book for you if you have questions about how do I believe in God? Or if you have somebody that you know that you love, you care about, you'd like to give them a great book that could be really challenging, really helpful, this is it. Um, really help them to understand that so everything that we see, everything that we understand in this world, this universe, had a beginning, space, time, and matter, which means that it all had to come from something that was spaceless, timeless, and immaterial. It had to be something outside of us that created it. It couldn't have created itself. That's not how this universe works. It, it, everything that exists now came from something that preceded it, and you trace that all the way back, and they do the math and say, yeah, everything had a beginning. So it had to come from someone or something and we look at the intricate beauty and detail and all the incredible stuff that makes these ecosystems and universes, um, these, uh, these galaxies work together, and you can't help but say there had to be an intelligent designer. This couldn't have happened by happen happenstance. And this great book that really kind of helps unpack that, that, that it really it takes way more for you got to have faith either one if you're going to hold on to an atheistic view if you're going to hold on to a theistic god view either one but it takes way more faith to take god completely out of the picture so if we start with okay well if you say okay well i believe that i i'll you know and it may take you a little while you follow all the science and you go okay yes now i believe that god created god was the creator god is the ruler now is that enough to have a relationship with this God? There's a problem with approaching God saying fundamentally, in his essence, he is just creator and ruler. Because a creator and ruler, by definition, have to, a creator has to have creation, and a ruler must have subjects to rule in order to really exist. They are in need of, in other words, if we say God exclusively or at his bottom or at his core is a creator and ruler, he needs us. Now we have a pathetically weak God who needs us and needs creation in order to even exist. This is a problem. And, and, and even when we start to look at things like salvation, we run into all kinds of issues. What kind of salvation can a ruler God really offer me? The kind of relationship that you would have with a ruler God. Think about this for a minute. The only kind of relationship you could have with a God like that is the kind of relationship that you might have with a police officer, all right? We have many fine and wonderful police officers here in the Brazos Valley and across Texas and our nation. But I would just say, if you're going 45 in a 35 mile an hour zone and you get pulled over, that is a uh, scary moment, right? You're like, oh, why did I do this? I shouldn't have done it. And if the police officer comes up to the window and it's, there is no way you're going to get out, there is indisputable evidence you were speeding, right? You were going 10 miles over the speed limit and that officer, he or she comes to your window and says, look, I'm going to just give you a warning this time. What is your thought? What is your feeling in that moment? It's relief, maybe gratitude, but I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say you probably won't break out into a worship song telling them that you love them, right? That's probably not going to happen. We have a ruler God. We, we will appreciate him. We may even feel grateful towards him, but we won't 
love him. Those are two very different things. So, consequently, think about this. The number one command that Jesus gave us to do towards God in Matthew chapter 21, verse 37, he says, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and all of your mind. In everything you got, I want you to love God. So why would Jesus set us up to do something that would be near impossible to do with a ruler God? Unless there's a very different God that Jesus intended for us to interact with. Because when we follow just the evidence of the universe and say, well, he's a creator, ruler God, that's it, then we can never know. That leads us to a very gloomy place of a very distant God that you can never really know you can only appreciate a little bit. You can kind of have some gratitude towards, but you're never gonna be in an intimate love relationship with him. And that God, let me just say, is a very different God than the God that Jesus reveals to us, okay? The God that Jesus reveals that God has revealed himself to be much more than a creator ruler. As a matter of fact, God is saying, if you really wanna know who I am, you have to understand me through the revelation that I bring you through my son, Jesus. You can't just look at creation. You need to listen to what he has to say. And one of the fundamental things that Jesus said from the beginning of his ministry was, Jesus says, he is the son and God is the father. He is the Son, and God is the Father. And he's not just any father. He is a loving Father. And Jesus says, let me reiterate this idea. You cannot know this Father unless you understand what I am saying to me, saying to you, rather. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the, let's say it together, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's it. There is no other access point. There are not multiple paths to God. Jesus says there is one, and praise God that there is one for us. He provided it. And he says, and this is what I want you to understand first and foremost about God. And when Jesus was trying to help us understand how do we commune with this God? How do we communicate? How do we talk to God? How do we even interact with him? And Jesus, I love this so thoughtful, so compassionate. He says, let me start with the bottom, like baby step in your spiritual growth. This then is how you should pray. Our, let's say it together, our Father. Before you know anything else about God, you need to understand who you're talking to. You're talking to a Father, a healthy, good Father. I know some of you may not have had a healthy and good father. God is not like that dad. He is in and of himself good. He is life-giving. He is loving. That's who you're talking to. And he was the one that Jesus says we are to pray to, that we're to know, that we're to seek now, when we go back to our question of origins, what was God doing before creation? Jesus tells us back in John 17, now in verse 24, he's talking to the Father, and he says, Father, you loved me before the creation of the world. 
What was God? Who was he? How do we define him? Before he was creator, before he was ruler, he is definitely those things. Before he was all of that, when you go to the core of who he is, into the soul of our God, he is a loving father who eternally has existed, loving his eternal son forever and ever. He's simply a dad loving his kid. That's what he is. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is helping us to see before he was creator, before he was ruler, before he was anything else, he was loving his son. And why did he create us? He didn't create us, ladies and gentlemen, because he needed us. He created us because the kind of love that God has at his core is so generous, he wanted to share it with somebody. And he chose to share it with us to make it accessible to us. I love this. If God is a father, then he must be relational. That's the way good dads are, right? And life-giving. And that's the kind of God we can love. That's the kind of God that Jesus invites you and I into a relationship with that will be life-giving every day of your life for the rest of your life. And without him in your life, you will constantly seek for him. The things that only he can give from success, money, recognition, fame, online, likes and follows and all of the stuff we feel like for a little while it makes us feel pretty good. But only God can validate your identity, who you really are. But you have to know who he really is in order for that to happen. Now you may say, well, okay, well, that's great. But didn't that just start? In the New Testament with Jesus, that really wasn't the relationship that God had or desired with his people, the Old Testament. But there are repeated incredible examples of this, of God expressing wanting this kind of relationship with his people, Israel. Going all the way back to Exodus, one of the oldest books of the Old Testament written by Moses himself, dictating from God. God tells Israel, his people, Israel is my firstborn son. Yes, this is the kind of relationship. I'm your father. You see the metaphor he's trying to show them? You are my son. I love you. And later, King David in Psalm 103, verse 13, he tells us this. It's beautiful. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Now, just real quick, let me define. That word fear has been an issue for a lot of people, especially the Old Testament version of this Hebrew idea. This is not the kind of fear of like, oh, we're scared that harm is gonna come, like God's gonna come get us. This is the kind of fear that evokes awe and reverence and you revere, you respect someone so much, you're afraid you might do something that would show disrespect, that might hurt the relationship between you and them. You love and respect them so much, you elevate them as more important than you. If they were ever to come visit your house, you would say, hey, here's the best chair. What would you like for dinner? When you provide food, you would always think about what they love, what they like, what, would, what, what suits their taste? Do they have any allergies? We're definitely not gonna serve that, right? You would, it would be out of a healthy sense of revere and awe of fear that you would show that kind of love to them. And this is what God is calling for right here. Like, that's the kind of father-child relationship I desire, that you would give me the place in your life that I already have in the universe, Give me that place in your life that I already have in the universe. I love that one praise song we sing from time to time. 
God, help break my heart over what breaks yours. That's that kind of fear. God, I want to have your heart. I want to have what you desire in me. That's what I want. I love that. And when Jesus was getting ready to return to the Father, right before the cross, when he knew his you know, death, burial, and resurrection, his ascension was coming, and he told his disciples about his return. He said, I'm about to return to my Father, your Father, to my God, your God. You see how I use those interchangeably? You need to understand your God is a Father first. He is Father. He's also God. But you need to understand this. Let me ask you this. This is the kind of love that Jesus is inviting us into, this kind of love relationship. Have you ever known somebody in your life that just spending some time with this individual, it changed you? When you leave their presence, you feel different, you're thinking different, you behave different, you behave better. Right? Just being around this, maybe it's, maybe it's somebody you've known that have loved God for years and years. Somebody who's just an amazing, like think of the person who's the best influence on you in your life. Someone who has deep spiritual roots, probably that knows God, has peace, and even through all the chaos of the last year and a half, they probably had just incredible peace. And you just like being around that kind of person. And being around them brings you greater peace. And they're like a little picture of God. And they don't even know it half the time. But that's what's beautiful about people like that. My prayer is that we all become people like that. But John, the, the Apostle John, his point was that is exactly how God is in your relationship with him. He loves you so deeply. His love is so profound and so deep, you cannot spend time with him. You can't intimately be connecting your life with the life of God and it not grow love in you, grow you deeper in your understanding of love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 8, he tells us this, Dear friends, let us love one another for Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. He's saying, listen, you need to understand God's love is so powerful. And when you're around him, he will begin to change you from the inside out. And then in the next verse, he tells us God's ultimate act of love towards us in verse 9. He says, if this is how much God showed his love among us, he sent his, his one and only son, Jesus, obviously, into the world that we might live through him. This is God's goal for us that we might know him through his son, that we might live through Jesus. Now, the follow-up question has to be, how do we do that? How do we live through Jesus? Jesus, could you help us out? How did you do it, Jesus? Jesus set us a beautiful example. In John chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus tells us this beautiful insight. He kind of pulls back the curtain. Like, here's the secret of my relationship with my Father. He says, that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Wow. Not always easy to do, very simple to understand. To love the Father means that you do exactly what He commands. To be willing to say, you know what? I don't fully understand everything in this book, but I'm going to begin to apply God. I'm going to begin to put it into practice in my life. I'm going to trust you. 
Isn't it interesting that, and I read this recently in a commentary that, uh, or uh, somewhere, I can't remember if it was a commentary or not, but 10% of everything that Jesus said was quoting scripture from the Old Testament. Like God's word just flowed out of him constantly. It was Jesus showing us that I fully and completely trust this word. I trust my Father, and I trust his wisdom. And it's Jesus completely trusting his Father, so you would too. You would trust his love. You would trust his word. This is how we live out this life with God. We take seriously his word, and we put it into application. We talk to him often. We love him and we show our love through our obedience and through our life. Now, so this is the way that Jesus loved his father. How did the father love the son? Let's talk about this for a second. This is really interesting and important part of understanding the Trinity. Because God loved, God the Father loved God the Son in a very particular and unique way. And we see it expressed many places in Scripture. But one of them is in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, when Jesus was being baptized. It says that when Jesus came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended from heaven like a dove upon him. And then the Father... Father God from heaven spoke audibly so that everybody there could hear, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and um, I, that I, I love him and, and follow him. Listen to him. I'm sorry, I've totally messed that up. This is my son whom I love in him I am well pleased. That's the quote. I'm sorry. I want to make sure I'm quoting this correctly. All right, so this is what God says. And he expresses that in that moment, that he loves the Son, but he does it through the coming of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus. Now, this is a very significant moment because later the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, he tells us this is exactly the way that God shows his love to us, how he downloads his love into our lives. Romans 5, 5 says that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That it is the Holy Spirit that comes within our life that confirms and affirms that God loves us, that he leads us and he directs us. He convicts us of sin. He helps us discern scripture. He helps us in so many ways. We're going to talk about the spirit in a few weeks, so I don't want to go too far into that. We'll dive into that in a couple of weeks, but it's beautiful to see that God's love comes by way of his Holy Spirit, and that spirit evokes in us a new dynamic in the way that we talk to and interact with God. And later, Paul, in his letter to the church at Galatia, says this in Galatians 4, 6. He says, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son Jesus into our hearts. Now notice this. Now he's attributing the Holy Spirit to the spirit of the son Jesus. They're used interchangeably here. That the spirit of the son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, let's say it together, Abba, Father. Now, this is just Aramaic for Daddy, Father. It is a very familiar and familial term of intimacy and closeness. 
When, when, when Jesus would talk about God with such intimacy, when he would call him Abba, this would go all over the pharisaical religious leaders of his day. They were like, no, 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 no. God is to be feared. He is ruler. He is creator. He is distant. You better respect him from that angle, but you don't talk to him like he's your daddy. And Jesus says, actually, you do actually this is the kind of relationship he actually wants with you and what's beautiful Paul later writes in his letter to the Roman church he reminds them this is such a beautiful illustration he reminds them that in their culture in this Roman empire if any child was adopted into a family right if any child was adopted into the family they instantly received all the rights of all the other biological children in that family okay all of them that there were no second class kids in roman families that they had all of the inheritance rights all the identity rights they had all even if that child had been a slave prior to their adoption they got all the rights as the other kids and the Apostle Paul, here as we're going to see in just a minute in chapter 8 of Romans, he's going to show us that in a similar way that God, when he adopts you and I into his family, he gives us the same identity as he gives his son, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. He gives us all of the privileges, all of the resources, and all of the spiritual access to him that he gave to Jesus. This is just truly mind-blowing. Let's take a look at that together. In Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful as slaves. In other words, you're not serving a ruler God, right? Like all of the other religions of their day would have been totally just irked and just astonished at Jesus teaching such a thing. They would have been just repulsed, like, no, you can't access God like that. He's to be feared. And Paul's being really clear, that is not the God you're in a relationship with that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. He goes on to say, now we call him, let's say it together, Abba, Father, Daddy, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his Heirs, and he finishes by saying this one of the most astonishing statements, maybe in the whole Bible. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. The more you grow spiritually, the more you come to know God, the more that sentence will absolutely give you chill bumps, blow your mind, bring tears to your eye. You will not even begin to fathom that level of love. He did what for us? He gives us access to him like Jesus had access to him. And we do not take advantage of it, folks. He's given us this kind of beautiful, amazing relationship with him. We have been given full sonship and daughtership in his kingdom. And his kingdom starts now. Jesus came preaching, the kingdom of heaven has come. I am bringing it. I'm opening up the gates and you can come in. You can receive God right now through me. And I just want to encourage you that you would be willing to open up your heart to say, God, 
before I understand you as creator or ruler or some abstract God. You are a loving father. You are a father loving his son through the spirit, and it is through that son God offers that beautiful love to us through the spirit of almighty God. You see how it works? It's beautiful when you understand how it all flows together. But he invites us into a loving relationship, not with a God who needs us, but a God who is generously sharing the overflow of the love that is happening within the sweet society of who he is. It's just overflowing onto us. In Jeremiah, it talks about God being this beautiful fountain of flowing water, that he is this never-ending flowing water of love and self-giving generosity This is what he invites us into. And right now, what I'd like to ask you to do, we're about to, um, as we close out in just a moment, I'm inviting Justin and Danny to come back out and sing that Good, Good Father song just one more time. But would you just let the words of this song become your prayer to God today? And whatever it is you've been dragging with you, guilt and shame over the past, would you be willing to say, God, I trust you and your love with that? I'm gonna relinquish that to you. Is there somebody that you have struggled and struggled and struggled to forgive because they hurt you, they hurt somebody you loved a long time ago? It's time for you to say, Father, help me. Help me to wanna forgive. Help me to start to forgive. Help me to fully forgive that person. He says, that's what I wanna do. Maybe it's your identity that you keep thinking of, you keep trying to prove yourself. If you can just be good enough, big enough and bad enough in this world, get enough people to celebrate you and follow you and all those things, man, I'm telling you, it is an idol that will suck the living life out of you. It is a soul killer. God's saying, what you're looking for is right here. I love you. You don't have to earn it. You don't deserve it. I freely give it. Would you come to that kind of father today? Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.